Hi there, I'm Martin Teasdale, and this is Get Out of Wrap, the podcast all about contact centres, the people in them, the latest technology, leadership and career lessons, operational best practice, and much more about a great, often misunderstood industry. Thank you so much for listening, and let's get on with the show. Dr. Phoebe Askell, thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm really, really looking forward to this. Thanks, Martin. It's really good to be here. Nice to meet you. And you too. So where did this all start, this interest in psychology? Was was it something you were interested in in childhood or? Oh, that's a good question, actually. I sort of think. So I think I was already always interested, in, you know, as as every kind of child is in, in people and what they were doing. And as 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 children, you know, we're sponges, aren't we? In social situations, we try we try to, try to learn how to act and behave. So I think I was definitely, my mum told me I used to watch people before I kind of decided how to act in a particular situation. So I think it's always been a interest of mine, but as it is for probably lots of lots of little kids. Um, I think my interest really started to grow when I was more around 17, 18. I just heard about the kind of psychology course and it's something that's not really taught in primary school, secondary school, is it? And it, and it just seemed really kind of fundamental to the world that I was seeing around me and just really intrigued and curious really I I think even in biology we didn't really learn much about the brain so it was it was the kind of mystery of the of the unknown and something that seemed you know so fundamental to everybody's lives well it is fundamental isn't it to everyone's lives so it's yeah I think that's that's what initially got me kind of interested in taking in a kind of educational academic sense fascinating in terms of there's there it's unknown isn't it that you don't realize there's so many studies that have been done into why we behave the certain way we do, mm-hmm. perception, everything. And you think in today's world, those kind of things are never more important. You know, we're we're living in quite a divisive time and psychology underpins all of it. Yeah. When did you, so you, did you do it at A-level and then go into uh, degree level? Yes. So I did, uh, I did do a psychology A-level. So psychology A-level was learning, like you say, a lot about different studies that had been done in the past a lot of which wouldn't be wouldn't be allowed today you know <laughs> yeah. the studies are quite quite kind of cruel was it Mil, was, was it milgram's one the electricity was, was it yeah when they electrocuted yeah that's a really yeah. famous one is yeah. that yeah where you yeah. kind of you're told somebody in a somebody in a kind of lab coat tells you that you can kind of yeah. administer shocks to people and yeah, lots keep of people going. kind of do yeah yeah exactly yeah so yeah that, i did fine. do it so actually Exactly, yeah. Or the prison studies in Bardo Prison Study, yeah. that's another really, really famous one. So yeah, in A-level, you learn a lot about the, kind of those those types of studies. And I think the thing that really struck me was that, yes, you can see patterns in, in human behaviour, but actually there's quite a lot of kind of unexplained variants as well. Like not everybody acts the same in every single situation. And the reasons for that are really, really complicated and and come down to lots of kind of environmental factors genetic factors sometimes randomness that that they're there included in kind of statistical models within psychology and maybe that's just because we don't we don't understand that yet or or maybe there is some randomness kind of involved in in kind of neural activity we, we, it's all to work out isn't it but yeah that that's i really really enjoyed my psychology course and ended up doing a psychology degree and then i did well i wasn't sure what to do with my psychology degree because another thing i love about psychology is that it's really really broad so some of the modules mm. that you can do in psychology are almost like philosophical modules. It's all around kind of what is consciousness, what is what is conscience, how do we experience the world around us in a kind of more conceptual sense. 
And then the other side of psychology can be is, you know, neurochemistry and, and physics mm-hmm. and, and biology mm-hmm. and, and that type of thing. So the, the broadness of psychology is really kind of fascinating. And it's because of that, you really need to kind of decide which area you want to work in in order to kind of mm-hmm. create a career out of it. So after I'd done my degree, I worked for some mental health charities. I did some work within the educational system, just to kind of try and figure out where, where my kind of passions mm-hmm. lay. And it, that was in research in the end. So my, my, my background, as I would call it kind of nowadays, is, is in research psychology. So I've had the opportunity to work across lots of different projects under that umbrella of, of psychology, which has been, just been really, really interesting. And yeah, and being able to kind of apply the findings of psychology within industry now, again, it's just been brilliant because I think there's so much incredible research work done within the academic circles and within in industry circles as well. I mean, it's just making sure that we really empower organizations to use all of that information, particularly in an area as important as well-being. So yeah, I can, I can talk through a little bit about research that I've done in the past, if that if that's interesting. Or, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, yeah. All, it, it's all interesting. <laughs> the thing I love about research as well is that you you come at it with a question and that's 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 such a motivating kind of as, aspect of the work mm. you know you, you you kind of hone in on something that that will be really useful to know the answer to basically mm. and uh, it's, it's problem solving it's understanding the best way to tackle that question and understand the problem and the subject is is you know ourselves and and the people around us so yeah. it's, it's just it's a fascinating area area to work in and the areas that i've done research in have been around human cognition. So that's how we perceive what's around us, how we process that information and how we make decisions based on that information, how our behavior, how we choose what behaviors we, we, we exhibit and how we uh, create behavior change within ourselves and sustain behavior change, that type of thing. Another kind of favorite of my areas of research that I've been involved with is around human technology interaction. And that's played a lot into the work that I do within Sabio at the moment. So my, my current mm-hmm. role is working as a psychologist within Sabio to help to improve the employee experience. So people working with technologies within call centers. So human technology interactions are a real um, area of passion and interest for me as well. I think main, mainly because of the kind of how exciting it is yeah where it's going to go you know technology is just going to get yeah. more and more mm. it's already so integrated into our lives but it's going to get more and more sophisticated we're going to be partnering with technology more and more the impact of that on our on our psyche on our experience of the world is is just it is fascinating and i think kind of call center agents are in some ways on the real forefront of that that they're, they're having yeah. to partner with technology mm-hmm. and they're being kind of monitor through technology constantly the customer experience built around technology and the human influence so it's yeah that's another kind of research passing the area of mine definitely you mentioned then around our our interactions with technology i read an article the other day that said it was someone postulating about what are the impacts of how we interact with voice enabled whether it's alexa or siri or mm-hmm. that we uh, demonstrating to children especially that we're quite that we can be abrupt that you have to give oh, that there's no yeah that there's no there's no politeness in it that you oh, don't yeah. need to say please or thank you or or things like that and what what impact is that going to have on our our in, your then interactions with humans mm. um and also then on language so yeah. that in, in in the future if you're 
if you to get things done you have to be you're talking in a way that you wouldn't talk to a human yeah How, what what impact does that have and i think you know the 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 work that you do and the expertise you have do you have to sort of turn off sometimes because otherwise you're analyzing and looking at <laughs> everything around you with a kind of oh that's the bystander effect or oh that's this or that's this or i don't think i need to turn it off i think it's actually really interesting to kind of keep that side switched on as you're mm. looking around i think yeah i mean like i said psychology is so so broad and there are there are often so many different kind of theories or interpretations of a situation that you could kind of use as a lens when you're looking at things in kind of particularly social environments that you know i i wouldn't pretend to know what kind of all of them so i think i think mm. i don't necessarily need to feel like i'm switching that off because it's not kind of it's not a constant stream, right? Like when I'm talking to people, yeah, yeah, people yeah. often worry that I'm going to kind of psychoanalyze <laughs> them or things like that. And that's, that's not the kind of psychology that I've, I've been involved with. So kind of psychoanalysis or kind of body language yeah. or, or, or that type of thing. They're not, they're not kind of my area of expertise. So I'm not, I'm not, it doesn't kind of in, interrupt my personal kind of daily life when they're chatting and observing people but things like the bystander effect and kind of more broader social what's the word theories can be really interesting to kind of notice when they're yeah. happening and and often a lot of the research that's been done has been done around social situations where so for example the bystander effect that that was originally done because or the, the study that or a famous study that they did around the bystander effect was because people weren't helping somebody mm. in trouble or somebody in need when there when there were more people there, you're less likely to help, and and so I think a lot of the time, those types of um, studies can actually prompt us to do more in those situations. So I've been in a situation before where I think, oh, I I'm probably standing back a bit more now because of the bystander effect, and it may it kind of prompts me to say, actually, that's like just a bias of my brain. It's not the right thing to step back. It's actually the right thing to step forward. So I think understanding psychology theory so a lot of the studies in the past can be really kind of motivating to to yeah do the right thing almost or or kind of yeah well you said something right at the start about how psychology wasn't taught in primary or secondary school and you think yeah uh, with teenage daughters myself that if they were exposed to psychology earlier in their education it would mm. absolutely help them understand life and navigate social situations far better or we'll just give them more equipment give but yeah. better equip them that's it like yeah. you say, to understand that's it I, I, I do completely agree i think I, I think it's taught slightly more in secondary schools now i believe yes I, I do i do think the same that if if we kind of understand the biases that human beings can have or the ways in which we can sometimes what's the word when you when you it, we can sometimes kind of feel like we're not doing or feel like we should be doing something when we're when we're not or we we kind of have mm. a self-reflection if you teach somebody to have self-reflection on themselves and understand the kind of bounds of human psychology i think that can be really really helpful if done in the right way from mm. from a young age but yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely a topic that's helped me kind of in my life having having kind of studied it a bit more and kind of navigate particular situations like even things like public speaking or meeting new people or trying to connect with like I said I used to work in a kind of the education system so trying to connect with people of a particular age group or who are going mm. through particular 
particular issues. It's just got so many applications, kind of understanding how people might be processing the world or information around them, why they might be acting out, why you might be feeling nervous, why you why you might have, have been snappy when you actually didn't want to be, you know, all of these kind of, yeah, different kind of, like I say, applications of, of the subjects can make it really, really valuable to learn about, really, definitely. And when you came to do your PhD, what was what yes. was that in? So my PhD was, it was to do with, it was to do with perceiving visual things. So I, I, for example, showed like movies or particular stimuli within MRI scanners, MEG scanners, and tracked activity within the brain and then used different machine learning techniques to identify which areas of the brain were processing different types of information. So this is, this had quite a lot of applications in a understanding which parts of the brain do what because different parts of the brain have kind of like different jobs so for example there might be one area that's just looking at the edges of objects and that can help you spot when they're Mm. moving there are higher functional brain areas that will be interested in social interactions or faces or language so helping to kind of map that across an individual's brain it's a interesting kind of in general like how how in general do people's brain how are they organized because everybody's brain is organized in the same way, like a, like a hand or something, like we've got kind of areas that are that are recognisable when you just look at anybody's anybody's brain that's that's not damaged. But everybody's brain is also unique, so everybody's hands are, are slightly different. So being able to mm-hmm. map these areas in individuals' brains use, using things like movies and kind of separating separating out those signals, it's really important for things like brain surgery or for identifying areas in in brain. Say if somebody had a particular brain damage to the back of their head, it might mean that a particular mm. area of their brain, um, say, isn't there anymore or not functioning correctly. So you can you can map it on an individual level for people. So my my PhD was quite methodological, really. It was a lot of brain scanning and data analysis, developing this machine learning technique. But while I was doing my PhD, I got involved with lots of different kind of human factors psychology projects so that that was when I got my interest in human machine interaction I'd say that's that's when I kind of really started kind of kicking off that and mainly because because I was showing I was showing people these these images and and, and things and and actually I kind of stepped back a bit and I was like oh it's actually them this is them interacting with a movie at the end of the day this isn't actually they're in a scanner they're not they're not walking around in real life and for the purposes of kind of my methods, my machine learning methods, that was fine. But I was kind of interested in in understanding people's like neural responses and reactions to, to to kind of technology more generally. So I did various research projects with industry partners on on things like things like automated driving. So how how do you respond when you're sat in a something that's that's driving itself? There's quite a lot of research going into that at the moment, as you can imagine. Because yeah. okay, we've got if we've got automatic driving cars. Does anybody want to be in them, or are they or are they scared stiff? You know, what 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 do people what do people need within those those types of environments to make them feel secure, make them feel safe? How do they want to in- interact with that? Do actually. Is it actually better when people feel like they have do have a bit of control? Um, so yeah, it, it was that that type of thing. I did a lot of work around cybersecurity as well. So um, understanding how a working culture or the UI, a user interface can influence safety online, how things like well-being impacts decision making. You know, if you're tired, what impact does that off have on your your decision making? So that 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 started to overlap a lot more with with well-being and I worked um, in a large company helping them to create strategy around cyber safety for their for their employees 
And that, again, that kind of overlap, overlapped a lot with their wellbeing strategy. And that, that kind of really led, led me to my job at People Matter, which is the company that was recently acquired by Sabio, which is yeah, how I came to, came to work at Sabio. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my journey. Well, the... I think you're the first doctor that's ah, been on Get Out of Rap. There you go. There we go. Um, yes. It's the first. So you, you said something there that I imagine a lot of people kind of in our industry, their ears pricked up a bit and it's because it's such a, a hot topic and, and it's a good thing that it is, but well-being is, is kind of got a wide set of, con- you know, it means a lot to a, a lot of people. Yes. Um, what for, for you and the work you're doing, what does that actually mean then well-being in, in our industry or well-being in anyone working with technology or just well-being in general? So well-being in general has a really kind of rich background and, 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 and history. So the way that we've understood well-being in the past and across the world has really varied and it's kind of brought us to where we are, where we've got a much more kind of holistic and like multifactorial idea of well-being. So in the past, we might have thought about well-being as being quite hedonistic. So um, feeling happy, or I think Aristotle used used the word blessedness or prosperity. So this idea of kind of higher a higher sense of of, of goodness or, or or kind of happiness, and kind of over the years and through through the development of of, of subjects like psychology, that's kind of been built out. So it's not just it's not just this idea of happiness. It's it's much more broad broad than that. And the way that that we understand well-being and and this is kind of fundamental to our approach at Sabio is that it's it's a multifactorial um thing as i mentioned earlier that's built not just on emotions emotions play a really important part for you to kind of understand and reflect on your own well-being so things like how much how happy you're feeling how much energy you've got that type of thing but also the behaviors that 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 engaging in or that you're putting in place your environment is really really important to well-being so the way that you experience your environment or so for example if you're at work are you able to focus are you feeling under pressure are you feeling appreciated all of these kind of aspects play into to this idea of of well-being at work yeah so it is it's, it's a really again fascinating area because it's it's constantly being reevaluated we're we're learning more and more about what what well-being is or what constitutes positive well-being but i think the kind of main takeaways are that it's it's the onus is often kind of put on the individual and the individual plays a huge role in in kind of manis- manifesting positive well-being but also the environment environment plays just as much of a role if if not more of a role and this is where organizations and team leaders managers colleagues family friends play a really really huge part so it, we're not kind of silos we, we we're all connected and being aware of the well-being of others around you understanding how to support those around you as well as yourself is is really really important for for well-being and another thing that i think is really really important to stress is that in, in line with what i was saying about it's not just the case of happiness versus sadness when we talk about positive well-being positive well-being is about being able to process whichever emotions you are experiencing and a wide plethora of emotions is natural it's normal we have them for a reason we get angry for a reason we get sad for a reason they're there to serve a purpose it's not about yeah. not experiencing those emotions or not processing them. It's being able to 
being able to process them, taking them on board, understanding why they exist, and feeling as, feeling as though you can get through those emotions and that they don't kind of overwhelm you. That's what that's what positive well-being kind of constitutes from in an in an emotional sense. And like I said, that that can often be around kind of behaviors, having a really good understanding of what helps you and what doesn't, because everybody's everybody's different, and being able to communicate that to others and and being able to put things in place in your environment. So I think, yeah, well-being's a fascinating topic because it's it means different things to different people. But in general, there are some really, really clear markers of of how what we can measure and how we can understand if if somebody's kind of doing well or, or not doing well. And and looking at well-being in this way, so looking at the environment, looking at behaviors, understanding emotions means that you can be much more actionable in in improving well-being, recognizing where you're doing well, where you can improve, rather than just, oh, I feel, I feel bad, I feel sad. Mm-hmm. That that that's a symptom of mm-hmm. of something not being in place to support you you through that. Mm-hmm. And it, like I said, it's okay to feel sad, but do I have the tools to be able to process this and kind of come through it so that I feel more kind of balanced in my emotions again? So yeah, that that's that's kind of our approach and 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 the way that we map well-being and because of my background in research my kind of sort my natural inclination is to constantly review and research this area anyway so all of the work that we do is to validate our our model of well-being our understanding of well-being and build that out or kind of understand all of those factors and the independence of those factors how all those factors interplay so that's that's part of the work that we do um within Sabio and with it with our customers with organizations and employees yeah. we it's really important to kind of listen and understand the experiences of individuals and help to unpack the the reasons why they they have the experiences that they do what role does the environment play what role does their organization play it's fascinating so did i if you look at well-being then for you some of the key parts that make it up are environment emotions and behaviors yeah and i i love that often i think it's reduced isn't it to questions around are you happy and you think well Mm. happiness is an emotion so you don't exist in a permanent state of happiness actually you could so what you're saying is you could have your well-being actually could be you could be in a good place but you're not necessarily at that moment happy but you are equipped and supported to be able to recognize it as an emotion and move past it and still function exactly is that right yeah that's I think that's a a really good summary I think I think in the west particularly we're focused on this idea of kind of euphoria or or happiness as being (laughs) yeah as being well-being and it's definitely a symptom of of you know if things are going well if if you know if you're lucky enough to not have And have something really difficult happening, you know, you know, something, but something like, you know, if you've got a death in the family or something like that, of course, you're going to be sad. Of course, you're going to be, you're going to go through the stages of grief. You're going to be angry. Mm. You know, it's impossible to be happy all the time. And I think it can actually be quite, quite dangerous to suggest that that's, that is what well-being is, because it means that you kind of put pressure on yourself. You, you A, either push, put pressure on yourself to feel happy all the time. B, you, you self-reflect and think, why aren't I happy all the time? You know, my life yeah. must be bad or I'm doing something wrong. Yes. Um, 
And it can be really, really counterproductive to have that view of well-being. Mm. And it, yeah, instead, it, it needs it's actually much more practical than that. And yeah, much, much more of we just need a kind of wider perspective on it, on it, really. And a lot of the kind of so, like I said, we've got this model of well-being that brings in many factors. And we a lot of the data we collect, well, all of the data we collect with employees and with organizations can be kind of fitted and matched to this model so we can help organizations and individuals kind of unpack their well-being either at an aggregated level or or with individuals so we've we've put this model together and a lot of it's based on mm. different parts of psychology and different theories that that have existed maybe you know since the 1960s 1970s 1980s mm. so there, there has been a lot of work and research done in psychology there's been a lot of thinking kind of in philosophical you know, academic yeah. philosophical circles around this. And it's it for us, it was just a case of kind of pulling all of that together and understand it and kind of having a, a comprehensive view of, of what that all meant. So we took a lot of kind of, I'll say inspiration for want of a better word, but inspiration, theory, learnings from from psychological research and kind of layered onto that with, with our own to, to validate this model. Because yeah, a lot, a lot of work's been done on it and it's like you said, it's an area of, of real interest. People want to, people want to be functional in their lives. They want to experience mm -hmm. life um, in kind of the best way possible, despite its ups and downs. So it's it's yeah. been an area of, of interest in the, in those circles for a long, long time, as you can imagine. Well, probably as long as we can, as we've been, yeah, humans have existed. <laughs> yeah, as yeah. long as humans have existed, trying to figure it all out. You know, it's it's. So. There's something. There's. There, I mean, I I love what you're saying anyway. But there's something you said there around this kind of certainly a very westernized view that we should be happy all the time. And I think within that you can see the dangers of social media, where you're you're getting a view as you scroll. You're only seeing the the curated best bits of somebody's life, but yeah. you might be thinking everyone's life is just a constant stream of happiness and great things and mm. celebration. And then you reflect and look upon yourself and go, I haven't done anything Instagrammable today. Yeah, so yeah. Does, does that mean there's something wrong with me? And it's dangerous, yeah. isn't it? It is. It can be really dangerous. And there's, there's more and more research coming out about the, 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 um, the risks with social media mm. around that, isn't there? Especially for young people who don't necessarily mm. have as much kind of, experiences perspective and and on 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 pe how people's lives actually are you know if if mm. you're if you're only seeing these things on social media and it, it can be really really damaging to to, to yeah. yeah to mental health but you for said sure. and again this is i love the sound of this you said for you and the work you're doing uh sabio with a team that well-being is very practical yes and that you can think about it practically could you just mm. elaborate on that a bit yeah, so I think this is this is was one of the really key things that that we need to crack in terms of organizational well-being and how we help people at work. It it also is really key for just well-being in general and kind of, you know, how individuals can help themselves and put things in place to to improve their well-being. But if we focus on the organizational side of things for now, I think the issue and like you said, well-being is quite a loaded word. So when we say well-being, mm -hmm. organisations yeah. often are a bit like, oh, well, we've done we've done a survey, or we've we've can do mindfulness classes, or they've got a table um, tennis table, yeah, that type of thing. <laughs> and and there is a there is a place for for yeah. some of those things. Like you know, it's, it, 
maybe it's nice to go and do yoga for an hour, but it's not, it's not, it's not actually attacking or, or seeing well-being as, as, a, as, a, as a whole. It's not kind of addressing issues mm-hmm. directly. And it's kind of, it's throwing money into something that's not necessarily based on that full understanding of well-being or kind of data-driven ideas of what actually will help. It's just kind of, oh, people like ping pong or people like yoga is good for the mind, which, you know, both of those are true. And like I said, there is, there is a place for those, but often it means that organizations who are trying to do something, re- mm, they want yeah. to help their employees, like organizations from a really good place like but it's just really difficult to crack and it's a lot of it comes down to like i said the environment so environmental pressures are really important so understanding things like the amount of work the type of work the kind of safety at work so being able to kind of voice opinions without fear of reprisal that type of thing how how people are able to focus at work what's the working environment like in general all of those things when you start to understand that actually give you much a much better basis for making decisions that that can improve well-being same with things like we know that people to to improve well-being people need to feel appreciated they want to feel like they've they've had accomplishments they want they want to have support around them they want to have kind of relationships with with people that that they feel they can tell things to or that they can have kind of positive regard from that type of thing so once you start putting these things into a model of well-being and unpacking where issues might lie, it gives you a much, much more targeted and kind of tangible way to improve people's well-being. And that that kind of, I always think of it as almost like a fingerprint for well-being. Everybody has all of these aspects within their lives. So I think things like, okay, I might, I might feel like I've made some really good accomplishments this week or this year, but my friend might not. And, and that's, that, that's the difference between us or you know, I can't focus at all. I find it really difficult to focus, whether that's because of, you know, how my brain works or my environment around me. But my friend finds it really, really easy. So that's, you know, everybody's got a different kind of yeah. well-being profile, if you like. Every team will have a different well-being profile, every organization. And different things work for different people. So it's what it's, it's about is kind of mapping all of that and using data to track that and understand the impact of changes that you made based based on that based on that data so it's really this kind of continuous cycle and reflection on across many different areas of well-being another really really key area that's much more practical for organizations and individuals to think about is this area of behaviors so this isn't necessarily an environmental factors but it's it's to do with your your experience or your the way that you kind of approach your life and the decisions that you made the boundaries you put in place so it's things like like creating boundaries. So how, how do you separate work and life? What are the boundaries you put in place so that you feel comfortable with talking to colleagues or something like that? Are you able to switch off after work or at a particular time on the evening so that, you know, you're not, your mind's not racing? Are you able to, you know, go and uh, have you got a particular friend that you like to talk to? Have you put that kind of things in place so that you you feel able to, to approach them, that type of thing? Being able to say no to things like, are, are you the type of person who tends to say yes and then overburdens yourself? So there are, we've got, I think we've got about 12 in our model at the moment of different kind of fundamental behaviors that can really impact well-being that are related to work. There's things like getting enough rest. I think a lot of people as well as the other thing that tends to be really common when we're talking about well-being alongside this idea of kind of happy versus sad is this 
the kind of fundamentals of, of, of getting outside, having enough water, getting enough rest. And I think people can get a bit tired of hearing those. And it's, it, they're actually so, so super, super important. They really, really are. And they're, 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 they're an incredible kind of fundamental, you know, part of our well-being. We're, we're, we're human. We need water. We need rest. And if you, as soon as you don't have enough of, of that, if, you, if you're cooped up inside, that is going to have an impact on your on your mental health. But I think the same with mindfulness. It's another one that's kind of, oh, go for a walk or have a try mindfulness. There are certain things that have been kind of um, don't resonate anymore or don't help people feel engaged with their well-being. So it's kind of like, well, yeah, I know that. But I, I don't, either yeah. I haven't put it in place or oh, I feel like I have put it in place and I still don't feel like, I still think there's, kind of are still feeling really stressed or you know whatever it might be so that's that's again that's where our model kind of helps organizations and individuals go beyond those kind of fundamental um or 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 more kind of commonly talked about behaviors that that can improve well-being to to things that are actually much more specific and targeted and i think the kind of final thing in terms of the, the kind of practicality of our well-being approach is that because we work with organizations, with, with employees, we, we listen to employees and we do things like focus groups, interviews, we understand their, their kind of working day. And we also work really closely with team leaders and managers, as well as the organization kind of higher levels, things like organizational strategy. What that means is that it creates a really common language across all the levels of the organization so that people can have a common understanding of what well-being is. They can have common phrases or kind of common terms that they can use and they'll they'll know that their manager knows what they mean. They know that their manager um, and is on the same page as them. So if they if they want to go and talk to their manager or something like that, that um, it's something that the manager will have been trained to, you know, accept or listen to. Yeah. It, it's, it means that the right conversations can start to happen. People feel more comfortable to have those conversations if it feels like something that's kind of integrated and, and understood across all employees and all, mm -hmm. all levels. So that's another really key thing to, to making kind of really practical and really meaningful changes within, within an organization and kind of across that, across that idea of and well-being. That's great. I, lo I love that. Just in term, even just in terms of feeling that you're okay, that you're heard yeah. and that it's, and it's a shared, and it's a shared language. And, it's, and yeah. you, if you've had this kind of like shared commitment to focus on everyone's well-being, you do feel comfortable to say, here's what I need. And whether that's kind of feeling valued, appreciated, yeah. or yeah. feeling like you have got someone to, to talk to, but it was fascinating to hear. And I was nodding along. <laughs> it's fascinating to hear how, quickly people can get into that kind of eye rolling mm, about yeah yes. I, okay i know yeah. i've got to get outside i yeah. know i've got to, <laughs> I, i've got to meditate and yes i have tried that app you know <laughs> but do do you think because it's because it's so, it, it, as a concept it's suffered because of familiarity that it's just everyone hears it however if you push past that and say well do uh, do you have you actually tried consistently getting mm -hmm. outside every day and mm -hmm. some people will go well no probably not mm. yeah it's an interesting point I think consistently consistency sorry is a really key word like consistency mm. is massive I mean you, you you want if you're gonna change habits or change behaviors consistency is key right if you're trying to build mm. kind of a new 
way of living or a new boundary yeah. in your life. You need to you need to have that consistency. I do think that it's been because it's been a hot topic and for good reason, but because it's been a hot topic, yeah. it's almost like you know, like when a song is kind of overplayed. <laughs> I think some like I said, some <laughs> things <laughs> Some parts yeah. of the, or the way that we talk about well-being feels a bit overplayed to people. Another really interesting thing aside to this is that if you're feeling like pretty good, oh, I'm feeling I'm feeling okay actually. Like I'm feeling I'm feeling fine. Like this doesn't I don't need to listen to this or this isn't for me because I think often well-being is quite focused on when things are going quite badly or mm, people yeah. who are really struggling. But actually, well-being is really important even when you're doing really well. A, because you need to understand why, like what's, what's in place right now or what, what, what am I doing well or what is going well? What's, what's making me feel like I don't need well-being advice? That's really important to do now to self-reflect yeah. so that when more difficult things do happen, you'll maybe have a bit of a, an idea of, of what could help or even just a vision of where you want to get to. That can be really important. Mm. So yeah, and I think, I think the other thing is that well, one of the really important areas for us in, in all of this is psychology. So this isn't just kind of getting yourself out of, if you're stuck in a rut or, you know, if you're having troubles with, with your well-being or mental health, getting to a place where you're kind of balanced and, and stable again. It's actually also about being helping yourself to have the best experience that you can have. And I think another area that's really great with people or it actually grates with me. I don't really I don't really like the phrase is like being your best self and all of that kind of rhetoric. I think actually, again, you've got to be really careful with when talking about well-being because it can really play into that almost like the Instagrammy stuff again, right? This kind mm. of oh, needing to be yeah. your best yeah. constantly, and that's that's also quite sort of well, it's like impossible to like always be like up at the top constantly. It's like I said before, like well-being isn't about like always sticking to this bar and like having a really consistent happiness and smashing the gym every day and eating healthy it's, like, it's much you know it's it's yeah. about it's 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 being kind to yourself feeling feeling content or feeling balanced mm. or feeling like i said before being able to get through the difficult times and we have lots of different coping mechanisms some of them some of them would be unhealthy if you did them consistently like oh i just really want like a burger and a beer tonight and, and yeah. that's fine because it make, yeah. it can help you relax. Yeah. It can make you feel good. And you know that about yourself, for example, like that's something that you might like or like, I don't know, like a really cozy blanket, whatever, whatever it is. And recognizing what you can do to kind of help you help you relax and um, kind of have, have, have a kind of chill out time is, is good. Like it, I think it can be, yeah, really dangerous to kind of also have that, like, I need to have super control over Indeed. everything and it, you know, so it's it, again, it's the language we use around well-being that 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 we need to think about carefully, and that can really put put people off talking about well-being if that's if that's the kind of vision that they have of of it. You know, yeah. I completely agree. There's some people, there's some guys that I will follow and listen to on TikTok, and mm. there's one guy in particular. He used to be a U.S. Navy SEAL, I think is he's 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 an insane athlete. And but he he again, I listen to it. I listen to him talk sometimes, and I just think it's just so unrealistic to think that you can get up at four a.m., do a hundred press ups, go and run an ultra marathon, <laughs> yeah, <you know? laughs> yeah, then eat eat nothing raw fruit, and you just think, oh, it's just you, you. 
it's nice to have targets and goals and nice to I think that kind of growth mindset of I just want to get better at something but I I want to enjoy the the process of doing it whilst also recognizing that everyone's life has ups and downs and that you shouldn't if you if you're not if you haven't entered an ultra marathon this week you're yeah. still a go okay person it's fine <laughs> yeah Do you know what I mean? exactly yeah you can don't worry exactly it can often kind of be like oh, what am I, i'm doing it wrong I'm like, you know i'm not very good at x y or z yeah it can be it can turn into kind of self-hate or really damaging if, if you kind yeah. of go down that route and i think this is reminding me actually of um conversations that i've had with people around call center like monitoring the side of yeah. things so it's kind of I know that a lot of employees or agents can often feel really sort of like scrutinized by by some of the yeah. technologies that are currently out there and that often all the data isn't used to kind of help me improve it's actually it's actually kind of an unrealistic expectation that I've got to hit this 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 particular level of performance con- yeah. constantly and it's just it, it it's it's not the way humans work it's especially in the modern call center environment where the calls that are coming through are are more complicated like those kind of routine calls are taken out by ai so the calls that humans are getting and where humans are expected to give the human touch that's what customers want okay i'm speaking to a human thank goodness because they can i can speak i can you know i can tell them what i want they can respond in a human way i'm sick of the ai but you know that's something that people get really frustrated with so kind of that customers want a human that can be flexible who can be empathetic and it but that means that the types of call can be much more varied or the kind of barometer of of or, or the standardization of calls uh, it, it yeah. can be can be kind of difficult and, and it can, and sometimes doesn't really help with understanding performance and can kind of just make people feel like they don't have control or autonomy in those types of calls where it could really help the customer you know so i think yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting kind of word it's like a tendril from the past where we used to have much more yeah, kind of process driven calls where there potentially was these kind of kind of kind of tick boxes I, I, kind of had to do and I think actually I, it can be really damaging we're like oh i'm not hitting this performance yeah. bar and maybe we're doing it slightly wrong with the role change changes that we have i think that i think there's a whole other podcast all by itself on that because yeah <laughs> I, I i do you know what because i'm a massive i'm a massive believer of we there's no other industry where there's more kpis put on people that are um, and when I say entry level, I don't mean that in a derogatory, dismissive way, but these are guys that for a lot of them, it's their first job or it's the first time in a, in an office customer facing environment yeah. and you are screwed to, you, you potentially, and, and I, I think it has got better, but nonetheless, it's still there. You are scrutinized to such an extent that it is oppressive mm. that you, um, and I, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. People that know me will have heard this before, but someone was conducting a really, really good call and they were just in the flow. And as to, you, to your point, it, it was a very human conversation. Mm. And this girl was pulled up by quality because one of the rules that they, that they had was name exchange, that you, the, you should tell the customer your name mm-hmm. and you should reference their name. And it had a, like a set number three or what, four or whatever. And so the very next call this girl was on, she ha- again had a great call, but then at the end realized that she hadn't said her name enough times. So she said to the customer, oh, Phoebe, so my name's Martin, Martin, Martin. Yeah, you remember my name's Martin. And it just was so, 
Clunky is so clunky. Oh, yeah. It was so out of the energy and the vibe between them. Yeah. That the customer was like, the customer What's going says, on? Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> you having a, are you having a stroke? And it's but the the psychological impact of and it isn't just on the phones. I think we've so we've got to be so careful in our industry that we're not, oh, you were two minutes late back mm. from your from your break. Mm. You know, I get it we get access to so much information but it's the responsibility of leadership i think to mm-hmm. think about how much of that they use yeah. and certainly how much of that they use to interact with people because like you say you can you can feel like you're doing a good job and then someone might sit down with you and say right we're now going to analyze 27 different metrics mm-hmm. guess what there's going to be some where you're you're not hitting hitting target and yeah. that's what you take away with you outside when you leave that interaction with your supervisor you're yeah. not necessarily thinking about the 20 things you've done well you're yeah. thinking about the seven yeah that you haven't done well and it's it's too much it is yeah yeah it's a really really common bias where you, you focus on on the negative some people struggle with it more than others but it's it, it, it it's again it's things like helping managers to understand how to present feedback in a way that that, mm-hmm. that feels more balanced for the employee so they don't have a kind of that sense of you know well disappointment or or kind of bashing themselves because they've made this one mistake or something like that it's really interesting that you touched on kind of how much data is collected in in call centers as well or, or contact centers because that that's another really something i love about my my role at the moment is that what we want to do is take all of that data. We've got so much informative data about the way we can literally map how everybody's working, you know, yeah. how individuals are working yeah. the whole time that they're working within the contact center. And kind of instead of using that to add more pressure or kind of higher standard standardization like levels or, you know, mm. performance levels, mm. using that and comparing it or, or it against information about well-being. So if we can track, you know, people's levels across all of those different yeah. areas of our well-being model and kind of do it continuously or if you know somebody kind of answers you know one minute of questions every day or even or something like that we can start to map people's well-being at a quite a, a detailed or, or kind of intricate or, or, or targeted individual level and lay that against the ways that they're working and we can we can use that data to actually start to find patterns and we could even do things like a b testing so understanding okay if we had an extra break or if we had a you know two two three minutes between each call or whatever whatever it could mm, be you know yeah. we can do research programs with organizations or with with different groups of, of of people to understand the impact of that on on well-being or you know if there are particular shifts or teams or whatever it could be that that impacts different areas of well-being you can start to use that data a for kind of what feels like something good it can it can help to improve well-being and b to help organizations and team leaders have really really targeted action plans on how to improve well-being for their for their team or for their organization more more widely because i think it when when we've got all this data it can be really hard to know where to kind of focus in and with well-being yeah. it can be really hard as we said earlier it can be really hard to know where to focus in where we can get kind of you know meaningful outcomes and tangible action so using that data alongside well-being data can be so so powerful and and yeah a really really important part of the of the work that that we're doing to kind of improve strategy and approach and kind of evidenced based decision making for for team leaders and managers and it can it what we hope or, or what we know it can do is 
is that it can reduce stress or workload for managers because they're not they can have much more targeted conversations based on information mm. and data that they're they're provided with so we can set for example say oh you know 60% of your team are finding it really hard to focus this week immediately we can, we can help them to build an action plan we can help them to have the right conversations with their team they can understand what it what's impacting their their difficulty in focusing and so it it just kind of cuts out all the proverbial I don't know cuts out you know <laughs> yeah. it means that you can kind of you can focus say it. <laughs> like focus in on on where where actually you know where change can be made that, that can be beneficial so using that data is actually really really key just and you and you know workforce management is is also really important and again it's it's just making sure that we use technology to support our teams support our people rather than having them feel like they're kind of working against it or that it's not helping them that's not where anybody really wants technology and data to be used is it not at all and um let's make an executive decision can you would you like to come back on and do do another oh. one we carry on yeah, I'd love to. I really so enjoyed that. Yeah, I know we've gone over so we much more. <laughs> there's so much more we could talk about, but it's true. Phoebe, thank you very much. Dr. Phoebe Axquith, thank you so, so much for coming on. And we will be booking another one so we can carry on. Definitely. That sounds great. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Martin. I really enjoyed it. That was Dr. Phoebe Asquith from Sabio, who's doing some great work, as you can hear on well-being in contact centers and our in humans interacting with technology phoebe will be talking more about that at the disrupt conference in february so why not get your ticket while you still can and thank you for listening and thanks to sabio for supporting the podcast <laughs>